Alright, we met here for the purpose of worship. And certainly worship consists of a lot of things, not the least of which is prayer. So I would remind you that uh, we need to have a moment of silent prayer and pray for our country and whatever else you deem appropriate, recognizing that your prayer is very important because whatever it happens to be, even if you pray amiss, if you will, uh, you get the benefit of God the Holy Spirit and the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform that prayer to a perfect prayer and present it to the Father, and the Father will have a perfect plan for your perfect prayer. So with that said, let's go to the Lord in the prayer, and we'll have a moment of silent prayer, and then I will close. So let us pray. In Jesus' name I pray. Alright, now for announcements on Wednesday, we're going to give a, have a shot at a, <clears throat> first of all at 6.30 with the prayer meeting. Then at 7 o'clock, we'll continue our Bible study in the book of John. So, uh, 6.30 on Wednesday, and it'll be followed, of course, by our Bible study at 7 o'clock. So feel free to come if you so choose. All right, now for another aspect of worship called giving. I've turned on the chart, one that you have seen over and over again. It's summarized New Testament giving. First of all, 2 Corinthians eight twelve. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one doesn't have. Thus, you can, uh, you can give even though you may not have something to give because of your mental attitude. So, uh, you feel free to uh, to give as is appropriate. That's in Second Corinthians eight twelve. Uh, and then we have those who may have something to give. Then Second Corinthians nine seven has something for us to understand that every man according as he purpose in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth the cheerful giver. And I think that means that if you have something to give and you can't do it cheerfully, you ought not to give. Uh, so those are the two, I think, requisites, summary, uh, at least a summary of New Testament giving, uh, which you can, of course, do, go to the Internet and 
look up the doctrine of giving and get a lot more information about uh, the New Testament technique and protocol for giving. All right, now let's uh, take a look at another aspect of worship, and that is music. And as is our custom, since we're under the COVID, uh, you might say, restraints, we're not doing congregational singing. Uh, it's appropriate only because our authorities tell us it is, though uh, we know that God has everything under control, as we found out from Joshua's song last week, uh, which was uh, very appropriate. And uh, so think about uh, what God has for each and every one of us, and that includes the United States of America, and he has everything under control. All right, uh, our music this morning is going to become Thou Fount of Every Blessing. So, Kenneth, if you would, number three, and we'll see what our box of chocolate has for us today. Kenneth. Alright, now we're ready to begin our lesson. I'm going to do a bit of review. We'll be in part four of the doctrine of, the, of Paul the Apostle. But before we begin, as is our custom, let's remember the application 
of 1 John 1, 9 as may or may not be necessary. Let us pray. Father, we are grateful for the privilege of being able to come together and to worship. Now, I would ask that you would guide us and direct us as we recognize that all Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, in order that the man of God might be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. For I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, again, we'll do some review and then begin new material at point six on page two. Last week, we did cover the first missionary journey as part three in our doctrine of Paul the Apostle. So by way of review, I put the Acts timeline on again, which gives us some uh, various dates and names of events that have occurred, including who was Caesar at the time when the events occurred. And there's nothing sacrosanct about those dates. They are all circa dates, as you might imagine. So let's look at point two and get a little summary. Post-conversion experiences. You'll remember Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus. An outline of the period would include at least preaching in Damascus, journey into Arabia, return to Damascus, and the flight to Jerusalem, and the first meeting with Peter and James in Jerusalem, and then a return to Syria and Cilicia, and particularly the city of Tarsus where Paul worked for some time. Now when we last met, we just completed a review of the first journey. There are basically uh, three journeys, and then there are some who call the trip to Rome as a fourth journey, but I like to think of it as just a trip, uh, not a <clears throat> not a missionary journey per se. All right, uh, let's review a map of that first journey, which we have uh, in our lesson plan. There are several key areas that we're going to be talking about when we talk about the second missionary journey, which you'll find a map of that journey on page three. But uh, we have, of course, uh, we're going to be talking about Bithynia, and I would point that out to you uh, as uh, an area that uh, Paul could not go to on the second missionary journey because God said no. And then we have Troas, or Troy as it is also known, and then you'll see Philippi over there in Macedonia, uh, northern Greece, and uh, uh, other places that we talked about last week, particularly Tarsus, where Paul was working and and uh, doing an excellent job. Uh, so we're told on more than one occasion in more than one scripture. All right, now we're ready to study the second journey. It was actually intended to be a revisit of every city in which uh, was proclaimed the word of the Lord, and that was as Paul and Barnabas uh, conducted themselves on that journey. Uh, Acts 15.36, reading again 
verse 37, 38, 39, and 40, and then 41 on your next page in our outline. So I'm going to read, sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the brothers and all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Uh, Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark. Uh, and of course, he was the same Mark that deserted them in Pamphylia. Or you could say it was Pamphylia was the province. You don't see it on that map. But you see Atalia and Perga, which were both in Pamphylia. And the two of them, that is to say, Paul and Barnabas had a, a sharp disagreement. And they will actually part company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, which you can see on that map. Uh, and uh, we don't know anything more about what they did, scripturally speaking, or otherwise for that matter. Uh, so we actually had two missionary journeys. Paul and, as we're going to see, Silas will go on the second missionary journey, retracing the trips of the first journey. And then they'll end up going over into Europe for the first time. So, <clears throat> interesting, there is a contretemps, if you will, between the two of them. No uh, small, this, this uh, you, you might say, disagreement over John Mark. And we don't know much about now why was the disagreement except that Paul clearly did not like the fact that Mark turned and went back to Jerusalem, and uh, that didn't sit well with Paul, so he took a hard stand, if you will, and said he's not going with us on the second missionary journey. Now, he will amend uh, his uh, attitudes toward Mark. We know from Scripture, subsequent Scripture, they do get along much better. In fact, one place Paul says, please have Mark come to see me because he comforts me when he comes, uh, which tends to indicate that uh, all went well at some point in time in terms of their relationship. Now, verse 41, they went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Uh, so that's in the second missionary journey. So now we are looking at the second missionary journey, and you can see the map of that journey on page 3. Uh, and uh, interesting, as we go along, we'll see they do, in fact, go to the various cities where they had earlier gone on the first journey to check on how are people doing. And then they decide that they're going to go north up to Bithynia, which you can see there, but God blocks them from there. Uh, that's, uh, we have no, they wanted to go to Mysia, uh, which is in the the province of Bithynia, uh, and that was uh, not the will of God for them to do that. So uh, they were communicated. The Holy Spirit communicated, "You're not going to go there." Uh, and so Paul decided, "Well, okay, I'm going to do what the Holy Spirit says, and uh, I'll go to, over to Troas or Troy, as it's also known." Uh, that, and we have no idea as to why that was done, except the people weren't ready for Paul and Silas. Because Paul and Silas will go on the second missionary journey. Uh, 
uh, as we have noted earlier. Now, Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, and there there was a major event which we certainly need to cover, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewess and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him, so Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him. And the reason he did that, because they were going to encounter many Jews who lived in that area, and they all knew he was a Gentile, and that his father was a Gentile. Uh, and therefore, rather than let that be an issue, he uh, circumcised him. Notice Acts 16, 1, 2, and 3. Paul and his team came to Derby and then to Lystra where a disciple named Timothy lived whose mother was a Jewess and a believer but whose father was a Greek. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey again so he circumcised him. So uh, he will be a, what we call a delegated apostle. He was not one of the twelve apostles. Those are the twelve disciples minus Judas Iscariot plus Paul. Paul is the twelfth apostle, and the, and thus uh, uh, there are twelve apostles, and there are several delegated apostles, like Titus, like Timothy, uh, and others, who were delegated by the apostle Paul. All right, as they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem, namely, salvation is a product of faith alone in Christ alone. They encountered many people, predominantly Jews, who wanted to add law-keeping to salvation, but uh, all had to fight that that idea on more than one occasion uh, as we studied when we studied the book of Galatia. That was the main reason why the book of Galatians is written, to counter that which unfortunately, had been brought into the province by someone or some ones, plural, who came from Jerusalem to assert that you have to do more than that. You have to be circumcised. You have to keep the law in order to become a Christian. And the people who came to Galatia, you may remember, were very convincing uh, we get every, we get the idea that they might have been, quote, big shots in the Jerusalem Christian church who were stuck on law keeping as a means of salvation. And they were so convincing that everybody, including even Barnabas, were convinced that there was some merit to that particular idea. So Paul said, well, I don't know where they got that idea, but let's go to see James and see if James was aware that these people had come into Antioch. Uh, and uh, to you too. But uh, uh, So he got a group to go into Jerusalem and they witnessed as they went. This is kind of a review of our study of the book of Galatians. And if you want to read all about that, you can go to Acts 15 where they met with with James who was the leader of the Judeo-Christian church uh, in Jerusalem. 
And he heard everyone argue. Peter also went with Paul, as well as Barnabas, as well as Silas, as well as others. And the leaders of the various churches in Jerusalem, of which James was the leader of those Judeo-Christian churches. And then he he made his mind up that, you know, I'm so sorry. He even apologized that anybody from this area would come into Galatia with that kind of idea. I didn't authorize them. It's not true. And he wrote a letter to that effect. And uh, actually gave it to Silas, who was well known throughout the area, and said, take the letter, you and Paul and Silas and Peter, etc., going back into that area, uh, which was Antioch, the area of Antioch, Syria. Remembering there are several Antiochs. So Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, but were kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. See the map on page 2 for the location of Bithynia. And then we have a map, of course, on page 4 that shows us the Greek Empire. You can see where Bithynia is. And, uh, of course, it was on the Black Sea, which is in Russia. And if you look at that little peninsula up on the northern portion of the Black Sea, that's Crimea. That's where the Crimean War was fought in 1856 or 53, I forget. But uh, it was quite a war. Uh, and that was with Turkey and with Great Britain and with uh, other people, Ukraine, etc. So uh, you can see... Uh, where they are in terms of the, the Greek Empire at that particular point in time. So the Troy is there on the tip of the entrance and egress, both ingress and egress, the Black Sea into the Mediterranean Sea. And it's from there that they will go over into Macedonia, uh, which uh, is the first attempt to have any organized religion, if you will, Christianity as an organized religion uh, in Europe. There had been no effort to evangelize Europe until this particular time. All right, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers as they passed through and checked on them. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, but were kept, as noted, from going uh, where they thought they were going, which was Mysia, which is north of where you see the word Bithynia there. So they passed by Mysia and traveled southwest to Troy or Troas. And uh, during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia. So while he was there in Troy, he had this vision, which was not unusual for the apostles to have visions as they got messages from God the Holy Spirit. This fellow was standing over there begging him to come over to Macedonia and help us. So with that, Paul thought the vision was a message from God, which he uh, would follow because he got ready at once uh, to leave for Macedonia. That's northern Greece. Got its name from Macedon who was the the dad, Philip of Macedon, who was the dad of Alexander the Great. All right, from Troas, Paul and his team put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, 
and then the next day to Neapolis. And uh, there they were going to uh, go south, and they will eventually get to Philippi. So again, as I noted, 13.1, this is a very significant event. It is the first time organized New Testament Christianity reaches out to Europe. That's organized Christianity. It's not to say that God the Holy Spirit didn't make the gospel clear to many people in Europe. But uh, in terms of having an organized, quote, uh, Christian effort uh, and Christian churches established like Philippi, Berea, etc. This was the beginning. So from there they traveled to Philippi, which was a Roman colony. And the leading city of that district of Macedonia where they stayed for several days. Upon arrival, Paul found no synagogue. It was his custom to go into the synagogue first. Which may or may not have been what God would have for him to do. Given he's the, he's the uh, if you will, the apostle to the Gentiles. Peter's the apostle to the Jew. But he always started there. And uh, he wanted to go into the synagogue at Philippi, but there was none. I think it takes 12 males to have a synagogue, so they're 12 Jewish males. And um, he knew that if they had any type of Jewish religion going on, it would be at, near a water body. So uh, he made his way down to uh, the banks of one of the rivers, and there he finds some ladies who are worshiping there. So from there he traveled to Philippi, Roman colony. It was a very important city and would become even a, a far more important city as time went by. And that church was a very uh, well thought of church as in terms of scripture. Uh, <clears throat> the book of Philippians is written about the church at Philippi. But it all started with several ladies who were down by the riverside uh, worshiping because water was used as an ablution uh, in uh, Jewish worship. So Paul just put two and two together, if you will, and said, well, I need to go down by the riverside. And there he he stayed for several days uh, but did not find a synagogue. So he said, okay, on the Sabbath day, if anybody's worshiping, it'll be down there by the river. And uh, he went, he sat down and began to speak to these several ladies. And uh, an encounter, apparently, from all indication, went rather well. And it became the beginning of the famous church at Philippi. Now, Philippi later would become a very important city because it would be a place where war heroes and um, sports heroes would be given landed estates. And uh, therefore, they had a lot of wealthy people there, and they helped Paul in his ministry with their wealth uh, as time passed. All right, now let me read you Acts 16, 12, and 13. Find out what, what happens. It says, From there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of the district, that is Macedonia. In fact, we stayed there for several days. And then on the Sabbath, he found these ladies. So now we're ready for, you might say, the second missionary journey, though we've seen uh, 
the the beginning uh, with the travels across into northern Greece. So here we go. So the jury the journey begins with an argument between Paul and Barnabas over John Mark. Barnabas takes Mark and travels to Cyprus. Paul takes Silas on what the scripture calls a second missionary journey. Acts 15.41 And they went through Syria and Cilicia confirming the churches. Uh, Syria, of course, was where Antioch was. And then, of course, Cilicia was where Tarsus was. And then you've got the various churches from there as it moved uh, in a westerly uh, trek. Alright, at Lystra, Timothy joins the party. Acts 16, 1, 2, and 3. Then they came to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain woman which was a Jewish and believed, but his father was a Greek. And as we noted, he was well reported on, and he would go with him, and he did circumcise again, as we noted. Now in Phrygia, near Bithynia, the Spirit of God redirects the direction of the second journey. Europe appears on the horizon. Acts 16.6, Now when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia, now that's northern Galatia. We're not talking about southern Galatia, which was where Antioch was and where the book of Galatians was actually written to. So you had two of those. And as we did when we studied the book of Galatians, we showed the northern and the southern and how you had to decide which one you're talking about when you study the book of Galatians. And then in verse 9, we find the record again of the vision of Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia, and uh, he asked them to come on over and help him. Help us, help us. All right, Paul and his team find no Jewish synagogue in the area, but they do find several Jewish ladies worshiping. Uh, the city is famous for its gold mine. This is at this time. Later it would be more famous for the people who were moved there because they had been outstanding members of, of Rome's society, uh, like military heroes or, war, or sports heroes. But it was famous for a gold mine at that time, and the ladies most likely were few but avid worshippers, again, probably near or in between the Strymon and Nestos rivers. Over the two main rivers in that particular area. Now verse 13, on the Sabbath we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was wont to be made and we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. Alright, now at Philippi in this second journey we find the story of the jailer and his family being converted. Acts 16, 12 through 34. We'll read 12, 30 and 31. Says, and from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia, and a colony, a colony of Rome, and were in that city abiding certain days, dropping down to verse 30, and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. So because of the fact that they had uh, taken uh, one of the slaves and uh, got him saved and other things that they were doing and they witnessed, uh, they were actually placed in prison. 
and you remember that story. They were in prison. They were singing hymns. They were happy. They were applying the the song, God has everything under control. And uh, uh, suddenly, uh, of course, the doors opened and they were able to get out if they wanted to. Well, they didn't. They just sat there. And the jailer, of course, making his rounds came came by and noticed that the doors were open and he scared the daylights out of him because the rule was at that time if you were in charge of the prisoner and the prisoner gets away, uh, you would receive the punishment that the prisoners were to have. And so he was frightened and he looked inside there and saw them and of course was much relieved that they were just sitting there even though the doors were open. And... Uh, he uh, was impressed, duly impressed. I guess it was the music or maybe the song. But in any case, uh, uh, that's where they got witness. The guy gets witness to, colon, and not only him but also his household because he asked the question, you know, what must I do to be saved? And the answer is given. I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ that thou shalt be saved. Acts 16.31. And then they go to his house and his entire house is saved. And I would take that to mean the servants and well as his family. As Paul and Silas were there to witness to them also. Alright, now then, the team travels south where the Thessalonian church is founded. Uh, when any, anytime you talk about the church at Thessalonica, you have to talk about a great deal of misery because there were being Christians were being royally, pardon me, were being uh, horribly abused. And uh, as a result, there was a lot of talk about we must be in the tribulation. And uh, we have uh, Paul answering that with the, in his letters to Thessalonica. Uh, he tells them, no, 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 no. Remember chapter 2? Remember what he tells them in that chapter? And I told you over and over again, about again, Second Thessalonians chapter two, verses one through ten, which gives you eschatology in the New Testament. We usually take our eschatology from the Old Testament and a few verses from the New Testament, and particularly the book of the Revelation. But here you have a wonderful summary of it in chapter two of Second Thessalonica. And uh, of course, when you get over to chapter four, you have the Verses about the rapture of the church. Uh, again, uh, we have uh, there in, in uh, that particular verse, chapters, uh, chapter two, uh, chapter four, excuse me, chapter four, uh, verses 13, 14, and 15, and 16. Those are your famous rapture chapters. In other words, I wouldn't have you to be ignorant, brethren. He starts off with, and in the, the uh, 14th verse, 13th verse, and says, don't you know that those who died before, he's going to bring back with him when the rapture takes place. And then we have the famous verse that says, you know, and the Lord himself shall descend from the heavens with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and the trumpet of God shall sound. And then uh, you'll meet him in the air and so shall you ever be with the Lord. And we have a doctrine of rapture, and it's extremely long because 
it answers the question, why is it not real clear that there's a pre-trib position? And uh, I provide, I think, more than enough information to document that pre-trib is the way to go. There will be a rapture of the church, and then after the rapture of the church, we will have, again, the tribulation, and then we'll have second advent seven years later. Then we'll have, of course, with Christ comes back, you will have the the millennium. So we have a doctrine of the rapture, and you're welcome to do find that on the internet on westbankbiblechurch.com, streaming audio, and uh, you'll find uh, ample scripture documenting the rapture as the next event for us. We're all looking forward to the rapture. And that's why on at our prayer meeting, and if you'll see on our prayer meeting, we have the West Bank Bible Church prayer meeting, then you have rapture. And that's so we pray for the rapture first. And then you have the various listing of the people and their families, and then also certain organizations, etc. And we have a new list, by the way, that I put together, and it's over here. Uh, and uh, you're certainly welcome to get you a copy and use it. So let's get back now to our missionary journey. Uh, the team travels south where the Thessalonian church is founded. And when they get there, they get a lot of people who want to take issue with what they're doing. And they're going to have to leave there. Look at verse 1. It says, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue. The events at Thessalonica can be found in Acts 17, 1 through 9, where there's a record of a riot caused by certain Jews who were jealous of Paul and his success. And this is also where Jason is hassled by these same Jews. So he's trying to hold his, 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 his evangelism, uh, uh, session and he runs into a lot of trouble. And that's why they actually had to be assured by Paul again in Second Thessalonians chapter two verses one through ten that the rapture hasn't happened because they're in so much uh, trouble, so much tribulation that one would think, "Oh my gosh, we're in the tribulation. How could it get any worse?" And he tells them it can get a lot worse, you know, and uh, he assures them. Uh, that there are certain events that I've told you about, I've taught you about, and I don't know why you don't remember it, but let me do it again, you know. Uh, here are the events that have to take place. Alright, so that's in Thessalonica. So what's going to happen? Well, let me read verse 5. It says, But the Jews which believed not moved with envy took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company and set all the city on an uproar and assaulted the house of Jason and sought to bring, uh, if you will, him out to the people. They drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come uh, hither also. These all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus, and this troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So that'll give you an indication why Second Thessalonians chapter two is written 
because there was so much trouble there. Now they're actually going to go south, have to leave there because of that. And they're going to get, go to a place called Berea. And there couldn't be, there's no greater difference, if you will, between Berea and Thessalonica. At Berea, they had a lot of positive volition. Now, there will be some folks who have come from Thessalon- Thessalonica. Uh, they call it Thessalonica today. But uh, they, they're going to come down to Berea. Uh, and I guess that's why there's so many Sunday school classes called the Berean Sunday school class, because very appropriate, because they were good folks. As we're going to see in Scripture, they actually sat and listened and opened their Bibles and followed along in their lesson plans and checked out the Scriptures as Paul and his team taught. And uh, uh, they were very positive people. So point nine, Silas and Timothy remained at Berea for a short time and then made the journey to Athens by land. All right, 17.10, reading through verse 13. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night, that's from Thessalonica, unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. They were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether these things were so. Therefore many of them believed also of honorable women which were Greeks and of men not a few. But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached uh, again at Berea, they came thither also and stirred up the people. So the devil is working, of course, just as he is today, no doubt. But uh, the team continues. Well, where did they continue? Well, they went on to to Athens, where he delivered his famous sermon on Mars Hill. Acts 16 through verse 34. We're going to read uh, certainly some of that. uh, As we're going to find Paul finds himself... uh, speaking to the intellectuals of Athens. And the folks in Athens all uh, were impressed with, uh, you might say, intellectual matters. So let me read in part. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, they traveled by land, he, and his team follows later, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. Uh, That's uh, very interesting. He probably handed out pamphlets. I remember when I was in the Gideons, we used to go, we we would have a convention maybe, uh, which we did in San Antonio. It's an event that I remember well. Uh, And we went out on the streets with the uh, salvation tracks. And we handed them out to people that went by. And we, we, we gathered two by two. And I, I know Don and Dolly know the man, but the, Dr. Vince Murray was, and I were the t- our team. And I remember Vince was a uh, really nice guy and a, and a good doctor. Uh, his son is still here in Austin practicing. And, uh, 
I remember I could just see his face because he looked at me and he said, Jerry, does this bother you to do this? <laughs> I said, it sure does. But I said, I think it's necessary, you know. And whether we're bothered or not, doesn't matter. He said, okay. And so as everybody would come by, we would have hand him a salvation track. And uh, that was, uh, I guess, what Paul was doing. Uh, I don't know if he had a salvation track, but as it says, anybody was come around, uh, he was he was out there with them. So that was uh, what he was doing. And he goes on to say, so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks as well. Then he says, a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. All right, now verse 19. So they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus. Where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. Now the Areopagus is actually there at Mars Hill. It's a separate hill. And they had people on there who were members of the Asariopagus. And I'll read you a little bit about it. It says, the Asariopagus was a government institution that met on a prominent hill located in the city of Athens. This body functioned as a court under the democracy of the 4th century Athens. And it had a very high reputation. It had a very high reputation. It was thought to be the ultimate judiciary. Now I'll read you verse 20, 21, 22, and 23. It says, You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what they mean. So all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at you, your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. And of course, he used that to, as a springboard to teach the fact that I know about that God, you know. It's unknown to you, but I'm going to tell you about it. So Paul continued, quote, his scholarly discussion, which he would later regret. Uh, he, in fact, as I recall, I didn't want to get into it because it's somewhat controversial, because we don't know if they, he was really talking about this particular series of events with the Areopagus, but he did say he would never do that again, which I took to mean that uh, he would not sit there and argue with anybody intellectually about Christ, but he would just simply tell them. Uh, and, and, of course, you learn that as you begin to witness the people and you get some success. There's one thing that seems to always come up. People want to argue about it. They want to get into it, and that gets you off. Because, see, the issue is Christ. It's not whether or not there's a millennium, whether or not there's a rapture, whether or not there's a second advent, whether, because it all starts with believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And all sorts of diversions can be uh, introduced as opposed to, you know, uh, we're all sinners and in need of salvation. But nonetheless, uh, he continued his scholarly discussion, discussion, which perhaps he would later regret. 
Right now, what you worship is something as something unknown. I am going to proclaim to you. And here we go. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. And then verse 31, 32, and 33, For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, and others said, We want to hear you again on this subject. (laughs) At that, Paul left the council. All right, Paul's dissertation had mixed results, but it was certainly seemed these intellectuals mostly dismissed Paul's arguments, leading him to leave Athens and make his way to Corinth. So he's going to go from the frying pan into the fire at Corinth. Okay, so a few men became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysus, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. All right, Paul gets to Corinth, and I show, I've got you a map on page 9. It shows you Macedonia and Epirus and uh, Achaia. Uh, you have two different parts of Greece at this particular point in time. You have Macedonia in the north, then you have Achaia in the south. Uh, and then there's this little isthmus down here that goes from what we call Epirus on this map over to Achaia. And that's where Corinth is. Uh, and we'll talk more about that because it's a very interesting story in Corinth. As Paul arrives and he looks around and he sees, oh my gosh, uh, I've never seen so many idols, various temples, you know, all sorts of false gods and worship practices and People would go into the temple and they would have a meal. Then they would have sex. And then they would uh, uh, bring offerings to the gods. And, they, of course, the gods never did eat too much. So you had uh, leftovers. <laughs> and they would take it to a restaurant. And they would sell uh, in that restaurant. And an issue about whether you should eat meat sacrificed to idols or not is a question. And uh, it would divide the church. There would be those who say, you can't do that. Those, that meat, that T-bone steak that you bought over there is uh, been sacrificed to an idol. And these people over here would say, oh, come on man, there's no such thing as idols. I'm eating my steak and uh, liking it. 
And uh, they say, well, you're offending them, you know. Well, so grow up, you know. And they asked Paul, which one's right? Remember what Paul said. He said, it's the ones who are over here who say there's no idol that are right, technically. But they need to be concerned about these ignorant brethren over here and not do anything that's going to offend them. And you could use alcohol there for the, another example. Sometimes you have to be careful uh, not drinking in front of certain people who are offended. Uh, and uh, maybe not eating certain meat sacrificed. Ah, we don't have that today, do we? So we don't have to worry about that. But that's another issue. But anyway, he gets there to Corinth and he sees this terrible situation and what people are doing. Actually, there are three major false gods that are worshipped there. And we'll get to that. But uh, he says, I'm getting out of here. Paul says, I can't take this. This is one bad city, you know, Corinth. And uh, so he gets ready to go. I don't know if he packed his bags and as he went down to pay his bill at the hotel uh, where he was staying or what have you. But anyway, God says, hey, 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 listen to me, boy. I have many people here, you know, who have not, you know, in essence, bowed their knee to ball, uh, worship the, I have many people here. You stay and you work here. You spread the gospel here. You have a church here, you know, and I'm sure Paul did that, you know, and said, wow, okay, <laughs> you the boss, you the boss man. So, uh, he stays. And of course, you know what happened First Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. He has a church there. But let's go on. So Paul decides to leave. However, God's vision declares, I have many believers in this city. And then I added, do your job. You know, do your job. Alright, so many travelers would come to party while their baggage was loaded and shipped across the Isthmus of Corinth. Corinth is a very interesting city because of the Corinthian Canal. Let me give you six points about the Corinthian Canal, and you can go back and look at, at the isthmus on that map that I showed you previously on the, I guess, the previous page. Uh, you can see how people would actually come in uh, from one side and uh, the city. Let's call it the north uh, west side of the city on a boat. Boat would would uh, stop there. And uh, it would unload all of their baggage. And they would put it on whatever method of transportation. You know, I'm sure it was donkeys and horses, etc. And they would go by land over to the other side of the isthmus. And you had two different cities, Sincrea and Lycaeum. And uh, uh, so where did they go? Well, they went down to Corinth. And that became Sin City for them. So they would say, okay, well, I'm going down to Corinth. I'll meet my baggage, you know, in three days. By then, you know, I'll be having some fun, you know, in Corinth. Oh, man, will I have some fun over there. It's like like Las Vegas, you know. I'm going to go down there and have some fun. Sin City. And uh, fortunately, uh, those many travelers, were travelers, as I've said in point 11.4, would come to party with their baggage was loaded and shipped across the isthmus of Corinth. So Corinth was a very interesting city because of the Corinthian Canal. Again, here we go with the six points. One, the Isthmus of Corinth made for many visitors. 
the isthmus of Corinth made for many visitors. People came to the city to disembark on the west side of the isthmus at Lycaon and re-embark on the east side of the isthmus at Sincrea. Keep Sincrea in mind because that's where Paul's going to get his hair cut as he gets ready to get back under the law, which he's telling everybody, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, leave the law alone, it's no longer. And then all of a sudden you find him wanting to go into the temple. And God's going to say, well, you're not learning your lesson, boy. I told you to leave that law stuff alone. Get out of there. And he says, I guess I have to teach you. So he puts him in jail for four years, you know. Two years in Caesarea and two years over in Rome. And then he said, now I want you to learn something. And he learned something. He wrote the first, he, he wrote the prison epistles. Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. Uh, and that's what we need. That's a wonderful, those are wonderful New Testament books. But God had to sit him down in jail, in prison, because he just wasn't doing what he was told to do. He wanted to be involved again in Judaism. And he said, no, no, no. Same thing the Jews continue to do, continue to do, and then what God had to do, he had to destroy the city and chase them out so that you couldn't find a Jew for 25 years after the Romans took care of them in 70 A.D. They were under great discipline because they just wouldn't listen. They just wouldn't listen. So again, by doing this, they would avoid the dangerous 200-mile trip around Cape Malaya. And if you look at that map again, you can see Cape Malaya. And that was, there was, it's kind of like going around, you know, the, the two Cape Goods. You have two Capes, you know, one around South America down south and one around Africa, where you get a lot of storms. Same way Cape Malaya. Uh, and, uh, I think I got a little better map than that one in here someplace. If not, I'll be getting you one. But, uh, uh, let's just go on with the, the six points first. Alright, so by doing this, they avoided the dangerous 200 mile trip around Cape Malaya. Alright, uh, Alexander the Great and Nero tried to build a canal but failed. In other words, a canal across that little isthmus. Uh, the canal to, uh, in 1882, a French company finished the canal, which is about, is today 70 feet wide and 26 feet deep. It's much like the Panama Canal, which of course it goes over, quote, an isthmus, close quote. So the canal body connects the Gulf of Corinth on the west with the Gulf of Saronic on the east. All right, now let's see what we've got here by point 12. Paul meets Aquila and Priscilla and the work alongside as they work alongside as tent makers. Both of them have the same trade. Uh, and Paul teaches these two very positive believers. I always liked that. Priscilla and Aquila. I had a bull one time and I named him Aquila because he was born on Aquila Creek up in Waco. And uh, uh, he turned out to be a pretty good bull, but he got to cough and I had to sell him. But uh, I had somebody take him to the auction. He's coughing. I'll never forget this because it's kind of like confession. My daughter and I were out in the field together when she was small of course wasn't grown up like she is now but uh, I told her I said honey let's have a little prayer about that bull that when he goes to market he doesn't cough and <laughs> and so we knelt together out there in the field and prayed that bull would go to market and wouldn't cough so when I had a guy that worked 
from time to time for me. I said, Larry, go take him on the market and sell him. And we're going to look for a registered Angus bull instead. And uh, came back and he said, I got got good money for him. Well, let me see the money. And he showed me the money. I said, well, you sure did. He said, how did he do? He said, he didn't call for time. And he pranced around that ring like he was the meanest son of a gun ever. And uh, he got top dollar. But that's confession. Now, don't y'all tell anybody about that prayer, you know, out there in the in the pasture. But we need to stop right there, and uh, we'll pick up with Aquila and Priscilla. They had been run out, by the way, by Claudius, as had all Jews, and that's how they came over to meet Paul. So you can see how God works in mysterious ways. The Jews were causing trouble, so Claudius said, "Get them out of here." You know, they're always causing trouble, and uh, so they were chased. All right, now I want to dedicate the closing moments of the service to anyone who may be within the sound of my voice who is without hope, without Christ, and without eternal life. So right where you are, whatever you might be doing, you can tell God the Father, I am believing on God the Son, and on the promise of the Word, you will be saved. The Scripture is very clear, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Uh, again, as Isaiah said, you know, we're all like sheep, all gone astray. And the Lord hath put on Jesus the iniquity of us all. So, since we are sinners, what are we to do? Well, we're to appropriate what Christ did. And how do you do that? You just simply tell God the Father, I'm believing on God the Son. Can't be said any better than John 3.16. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then the next two verses uh, tell us that uh, He didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but He came into the world that we might be saved. And as many as received Him, to them gave He power by simply believing on His name. Because He came unto His own Israel, but His own received Him not. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them who believe on His name. So it's that simple. That easy. Why? Because it was so difficult for Him. And therefore it is easy for us Faith alone in Christ alone. So I'll pause for just a moment and give you opportunity to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then I will provide our benediction. Father, it's a privilege to live in the United States of America and a privilege to be able to come and worship. Now I would ask that God the Holy Spirit would take that which I have presented Make it real in order that we might grow in your wonderful grace and become more like our Lord and Savior. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.